Usually I always have the honor of speaking about Hanukkah. And I can remember this honor at least for the last 12 years. <laughs> so each time Hanukkah comes around, I say, Father, give me the right words and wisdom on what to speak because I've spoken about Hanukkah from every viewpoint in every way. <laughs> and I believe that God has really given me words this morning. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about the history of Hanukkah, and then I will put it also in connection with our message this morning. More than 2,000 years ago, when the Greeks really ruled in our area of the world here, they brought with them also their Greek culture. And so um, more than what we saw this morning, they were trying to bring in their Greek culture. Years before that, they were trying to bring their Greek culture into the, the life of the people here in Israel in a very simple way. They brought with them sport and theater. They brought all of these many temptations in with them in order to draw the Jewish people closer to the Greek culture. And especially at this time, that type of culture really drew the young people into that culture. And more so that the young people did not want to come into the house of God, into the tabernacle, into the... Then they went, instead, they went to sport events and they went to theater. They started to look at the Jewish faith and their Jewish belief as something that was old, uh, traditional, something that they don't need. And when I look at this now, this is exactly what's happening now in our world now. Did you know that there's a football game today, a soccer football game? And lots of people have gone to this soccer game. They didn't go to pray or to go be with God. They're going, they're going to the theater, to the shows, to sports events, instead of coming to the house of God. And so like the old saying goes, there is nothing new under the sun. So the main purpose of the Greeks was to turn the nation of Israel into another Greek nation. So they believed that with the Jewish people under their culture, their, their culture itself would be stronger. They also believed that they would have less problems. And also, if you think about the Tower of Babel, it was shown that when there was one language, they had a lot of strength and power. And God took care of that. He was able to change the languages, and it, they weren't able to reach the heavens. So here, people were trying to find one culture or one faith, then there would be really power with them. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. But this process was very, very slow. And they really wanted to speed this process up. And so then a king came and his name was Antiochus. Uh, history tells us that he was a crazy, literally crazy king. And when tradition and history, history more so, tells us that there was a small group of Jewish people that really stayed faithful to the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture, then he got very angry and he decided he was going to completely take away the Jewish culture. So one of the things that this king did is he set about laws that were specific laws specifically against the Jewish people. So he, one of the laws that he put into place was that they could not celebrate the Jewish holidays and they could not celebrate coming together on Shabbat. 
and they could not come together into the synagogues or into the temple to pray. They could not have their books to pray from. And there was also the forbiddance of having a circumcision for the children, for the boys. And he made them specifically fall down and worship the Greek idols and gods. And above everything was was when he really made vain and did vain in the holy temple. He threw down he threw down things in the temple. He was then putting up gods, t- statues of gods. They made mockery with a pig in the temple. And they even took the blood of this pig and they sprinkled it and threw it around into the holy temple. And this was a dark, hard time in the nation of Israel. But thank God for the Maccabees. Thank God for the Maccabees that they were not willing to just go along with the flow of what the Greek people wanted. So one of the the best favorite things during this whole time period is that when the Maccabees came in and they came in to consecrate and rededicate the temple and they cleaned out the temple and then again the temple was worthy of God working in that temple and moving. So when I thought of this whole story, I thought of the whole fact the worst part is not so much when the enemy comes in and makes mockery in the temple, but it's when the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, makes mockery of the temple itself. Two temples were destroyed, were destroyed by the enemy. These temples were destroyed not just because of what the enemy did, but because of the way that the people of Israel were towards their own temple, how they made mockery of it. So even during while the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, God gave Moses the ideas and the reasons for the temple or the tabernacle. This tabernacle, this temple, in the Old Testament was exactly the way God had planned because he put it on the mind and the hearts of skilled people to organize it, to plan it, architects, people like Betzalel. And these were people that, people that were going along and people that traveled along and flowed along with the people of Israel. Let's go to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25 verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary or a temple, a holy place, that I may dwell among them. Isn't it wonderful the way that the God, the creator of the universe, wants to come and dwell with us? It's wonderful that the creator of the universe wants to come and dwell with us. And also in this tabernacle, this temple, was the place where there would be forgiveness, there would be a sacrifice. Look a lot um, at each of these things that was inside the temple. We can see that in this temple there was also the sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices um, of forgiveness of sin. This is an area that we see in this tabernacle. It wasn't just a place where God was going to dwell. It was a place where God was going to meet with Moses. Look in the same chapter, Exodus 25, in verse 25. Oh, Exodus 25. 
And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from above the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the, co- of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So here the tabernacle was really the place where God was going to come and speak to Moses and speak to the children of Israel. The tabernacle was a place where there was guidance given or the way being shown. Those of you that know the scripture know that when the uh, fire and the cloud were above the, the temple and the tabernacle, when it started to move, they knew that they were supposed to be moving as well, the children of Israel. And what's great about this is not that I'm moving to a certain place whenever I feel like it. When God was moving, you were expected to move with him. And because of this, it was inside a tent. It was easy to take down and to put up. It was a place of guidance, of counsel. So the children of Israel, after they went through 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, the trials and the problems, then they came to the promised land. And the place in the promised land that they were given was in the area of Shiloh or Shiloh. It was in the area that Ephraim got. So we read in scriptures that Eli the high priest and his two sons, Hophni and Pinchas, they served and dwelt in the tabernacle. And you can read all of this in the beginning of the book of First Samuel. So we, we can read in that that Hophni and Pinchas were children that they did not know God. They did not know the things that God did, even though they were dwelling and living in. They were so bad in their acts and in the things that they did that God sent an angel to go to Eli and to speak to Eli about the things his children have done. And Eli did not take responsibility for his sons. He did not talk to them or speak with them. And then God says to Eli that both of his sons would die in a single day. So there was a war in Israel against the Philistines. So Hophni and Pinchas, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they went into the war with it. Both of them were killed that day. And then the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the Philistines. And then there came a messenger, and he came to share this with Eli, what happened to his sons. And it says that when he heard what happened to his sons, that both of them were killed. And it would appear to us that he was maybe a very heavy-set man. Says The scripture says that when he heard this, he fell over backwards on his chair, and his neck was broken, and he died. The Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. And the Philistines didn't exactly get along well with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant needed to come home. We won't get into all of that this morning. Maybe another time I'll give a whole message about that. But 
in the end, the Ark of the Covenant did come back. And at the end, the Ark of the Covenant came to a place called Kiryat Ya'arim. And all the different sacrifices up until this time, all the different sacrifices that happen, happen at different uh, holy places in the country, like Gilgal. And then David decided something. He decided that he was going to take the Ark of the Covenant and bring it up into Jerusalem. And according to his understanding and the way he did things, he tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. And a man by the name of Uzzah, who was helping to bring this Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and it, Scripture says that the Ark of the Covenant, while they were carrying it, almost fell, and he stretched forth his hand to, to hold the Ark of the Covenant in its place, and he died immediately. And when King David saw this, he, he was full of fear, and he said, let's just leave the Ark right here, let's not touch it anymore. And the Ark of the Covenant was in the house of a man by the name of Obed. And the scripture tells us that his house was blessed because the Ark of the Covenant was in his house. After three months, so David says, wow, he's heard that Obed's house is blessed and he has many blessings. So he decides, David decides that once more he's going to bring that Ark of the Covenant up to the city of David. And this time he's doing it the way it needs to be done. So we read in the scriptures that like every few little bit of time, every step they took, they put forth sacrifices and thanksgivings to God. And in the end, the Ark of the Covenant came to the city of David. And one day when David was with the Ark of the Covenant in, in that area, God put it on his heart, something wonderful. And he said, I want to build a house for God. The, the place where the, the Ark of the Covenant was was always a tent. It wasn't um, fancy or spectacular. He wanted to build a proper house. And he wanted something that was going to be a permanent place. And this type of thinking really blessed God that this man had it on his heart to do this. And God sent Nathan the prophet and said to him, do what you find in your heart to do for building me a temple. But you yourself will not build my temple. Your son will build my temple. For David, it was such a wonderful thing that somebody from within his own house, within his own lineage, within his own household would build the temple. So he was able to organize everything, all the trees, the lumber, everything that they would use, the gold, the silver, everything that was in the temple. And his son was to build the first temple. Years passed. The presence of God was in Israel. But the people of Israel again started searching and seeking for other idols, worshiping other idols. And God sent a prophet to warn the people of Israel. God said to the people of Israel, you are sinning so much against me. You are fornicating in my temple. He called them to, to repent, to come back from their ways. And let's see what Let's see what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 7. 
Jeremiah 7. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah 7, verses 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Verses 3 to 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and you do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers, forever and ever. Amen. The, one of the things that God has called is he's called the people of Israel to return back to him because of his love for the people of Israel. They started to see and to trust in other things, and they said, it's not possible that God would really bring judgment on us. Then he says to them, in verse 12, verse 12, but go now to my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. He says to them, you're trusting in this, in this building, in this big place that's beautiful, in a place that's like religious. And he says, you're sinning and you're walking against my ways and against my commandments and doing things that I commanded you not to, you, to do. And do you think that I'm going to sit here in quiet and not judge you? He says to them, go back, go back to Shiloh and see what I did to the people of this place. Our God is long-suffering. He's patient. He will give you chance after chance to come back to repent. He'll send people to tell you, to guard you, to guide you back to repent, to change your ways. But then there comes a point where God says, enough. You don't want to hear? Then you will carry with you the responsibility and what's happening, the circumstances. Did you not hear the words that I said to Jeremiah? God brought the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He took them to Babel. They destroyed the temple. They took all the utensils, the holy utensils that were within the temple back to Babel. But God gave a promise in the middle of this trial, another 70 years, you will return. And 70 years passed. So you can read about this also in Daniel where 70 years has passed and Daniel consecrates himself again and he says, the time has come back to return. And the people of Israel started to return. And then the second temple was built again. Yoshua and Eliezer helped to build the tabernacle. And we see that Ezra and Nehemiah were part of this building. And once again, the presence of God came back and returned to Israel. The work in the temple was again started up. 
but 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Yeshua came on the scene. I want to read from the New Testament, New Covenant now. We want to read from Mark chapter 11. This man, Yeshua, came to the temple. We're going to read verse 15 until 17. So they came to Jerusalem. Then, Je then Yeshua went out into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold do doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Here's the Maccabee of all Maccabees. He comes into the temple, and he sees what's happening there. And the house of God was made into a house of wares, a house of selling. It became like a small shopping center, a small area to gain money. I would call it the Ramle Lod Shuk in the middle of the temple. We read also in history that they were even offering to people, uh, selling to people, animals that were defected or animals that were not clean um, in order to be offered up as sacrifices. And Yeshua here is reciting from memory from Isaiah 56 where it says my house will be a house of prayer for all nations and in the year AD 60 the second temple was destroyed by Titus and now for 2,000 years the people of Israel have no temple but I believe that the word of the Lord teaches us and shares with us about a different type of temple not a temple that is made of stones Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Here we have a wonderful promise. Prophecy. Ezekiel 37. We start with verse 21. Ezekiel 37, 21. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Verse 22, And I will make them one nation in their land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Verse 23, they shall not devile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. What a wonderful prophecy this is. He says, I'm going to bring them back to their land, to Israel. They're not going to be any more two nations, Judah and Israel. They're going to be one. And what am I going to do with them? I will cleanse them. I will purify them. I will sanctify them. I will cleanse them from all of their idolatry. And look at verse 24. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. 
they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And you know that at this stage that this was written, David was already in the grave for a long time. But here this prophecy talks about the Messiah, Messiah, son of David. He will be king. He will be the shepherd. Verse 25. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. What a wonderful prophecy this is. Danny's father came from Iraq, and his mother came from Algier. All the people that are from here, you are sons of these people. Some of, you, some of you are really immigrants. But this prophecy goes to our children and to our children's children. And see what he says here in verse 26. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle shall be with them forever. So we see that the tabernacle or the holy place is not going to just be a place, a certain place, or a made of stone, but it is going to be you and I. We will be a temple, a holy place. Verse 27, my tabernacle shall also be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, have sanctified Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. The plan of God always was that we would be a temple, a tabernacle of God. And you know what makes this house so special? It's not these wonderful stones back here. It's not the, the cement that we built it with. And all the music and the things that are around us. What turns this house that we're sitting into something very special is you and I. Amen. Amen. Because we are together living stones. We are built and living together and with the Holy Spirit in us, each one of us here. You, each of you are a stone in the house of God. I remember that sometimes people came here and sometimes they walk in very carefully. Maybe they have to feel, feel they have to put something on their head as a covering. You know, this is a holy place. What makes this place holy is the presence of God. And if the presence of God is not here, maybe you, maybe you would think that it's something holy here, but if the presence of God is not here, we have nothing. Danny says that at the age of 18, the Lord started to speak with him. And at the age of 19, I opened my heart, and he came into Danny's heart. And he came in with the spirit of the Maccabees, Bishvili, the spirit of the Maccabees, was this Holy Spirit that came in. He started cleaning in Danny's heart. You are the temple. Maybe some of you don't know, but you are a potential temple. 
but he started cleaning and he made he made such a wonderful cleaning that even bleach and other special cleansers couldn't do and he cleaned and he cleaned and he cleaned and then he filled Danny up with the Spirit of God and from them Danny is not the same and this is what he wants to do with each one of us he wants each of us to know each day every day that we are a temple of God let's go back to the New Covenant to the New Testament let's go to 1st Corinthians chapter 3 1st Corinthians chapter 3 in the new those of you that don't know the Corinthian people were not exactly a temple at the beginning they were thieves robbers murderers prostitutes Everything that you could possibly think about, this was the people of Corinth. But then all of a sudden, God came down, Yeshua came, and Paul writes to them in his letter here, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Amen. Rishona. Danny needs to find his place. <laughs> He's checking to make sure you're all awake. Let's read verses 16 and 17. Do you not know? Do you know? Do you know? Uh, it looks like maybe they forgot that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, whose temple you are. I want you to turn somebody next to you and say, do you know that you're the temple of God? Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are the temple of God. Did you know that? I'm so happy that you'll go out of here and know that you are the temple of God. First Corinthians. And did you know that the temple of God is holy? Amen. He's holy. Do you want to be the temple of God? So what it says in other words is sometimes things that make me kind of laugh are things that we are sometimes worshiping and singing worship songs and we're not really paying attention to what we're singing. Pay attention to the words that we're really singing. So the, the, the praise song, Make Me Holy. So what you're really asking, you're saying, God, whatever is in me that's not of you, take it out of my life. And then he comes to do that, and you say, why? <laughs> and make me holy. You're asking that. But if you're asking that, you better make sure you're standing on the word. Give it to him. Allow him to come in with the Holy Spirit. Allow him to come in with the same spirit like the Maccabees came in. They came in and to clean everything, every part of you that is not of him. Every idol, everything that would take the, the place of God. Everything that keeps you from really going forward with Him. If you're the same as what you were yesterday. Wait a minute. The battery's gone. Hallelujah. That looks like maybe that's a point that He needs to finish now. What did He say? If you. If you know that you are the 
If you know that you're the Holy Spirit, then you need to allow the, the Holy Spirit to God to come in and clean, to come in and make you his temple. This part, he says, after he's said some other words to them. Go back to verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. 1 Corinthians 3.10 If you are the temple of God, then you need to be able to participate and to, to take charge of what is going into your life. I cannot continue to just keep going to all the different shopping malls. I'm going to be like the man of a religious man in Masharim that just walks with the blinder on his eyes. Sometimes there's posters that are like 10 meters by 10 meters. You can't, you can't miss them. What are you putting into your life? He says here, watch careful how you build. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid, and that foundation is Messiah, Yeshua. Pay attention to verses 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verses 14 and 15. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You and I are the temple of God. We're building, and he is calling us to build with gold, with precious stones because the fire will really test each one of our work. The, the fire will always come and burn. If you're going to build with wood or hay, these types of things that are not going to be able to stand against the fire, what will be left in your hand after the burning is only ash. But if you build with gold and silver and pure precious stones, even gold, as it goes through the fire, it becomes even a better gold, a better grade of gold. It's more precious. Verse 15, I always think of verse 15 because it says, even this man, he will be saved. It shows us that in this type of verse, it shows us that he was almost in the fire, but then he was saved. I don't want to come into heaven with the thinking that I almost didn't make it. Let's not come into heaven like that. Let's come into heaven with the security and the trust that I'm here on this earth as a temple of God, as a place for God to dwell. That I've done everything that God wanted me to do. That I lived my life in the best way that I knew how. And to make sure that we receive that safe trust place that we are with the Lord. Not that we barely made it. We are the temple of God. 
I'd like to close now. So I'd also like to challenge each one of us during this Hanukkah time that God reminds us that we are his dwelling place, we are his temple, that he will put in us the desire more and more that we would want to be changed, we would want to be holy, that he would take out of us each part of our life that does not need to be there. I've asked Karen to sing for us the song, How Lovely Are Your Dwelling Place, O Lord. I'd like that at the time that we're singing this song, each one of us here, we really would come before God and we would check our hearts before God. And we would say to ourselves, am I really a clean, pure temple? Is there something in my life that I want to change, that I need to change, things that need to be taken out of my life? I believe that there's, for each one of us this morning, there's something that God wants us to change before Him. Here we are to stand before the Lord. Maybe some of you are here this morning for the first time and you're not really sure what exactly God has done for you. And I know that God did not bring you here on accident. But the Holy Spirit of God has brought you here. He's calling you today to change, to be a holy temple. And he wants to put into you his spirit to make you a new creature, to go out of here with hope, to go with joy, and with a new destiny and a purpose for your life. Let's stand and let's sing, please. Thank you, Father, you want to dwell in us. You've always wanted to dwell with your people. And that we thank you that this morning, we thank you that this morning you give us a chance that we allow you to come into our life to change us to be a holy temple according to the Spirit. Thank you that Jews and non-Jews can be one in Messiah. Thank you that we can be one temple, a built temple.